And uh, the challenge last week was for us to find some time this week to read the Gospel of John all the way through, cover to cover. So uh, I won't ask you for a show of hands, or those of you who, uh, who, who accomplished that and read it all the way through. First service, we had a few people kind of raising their hands ahead of time. They were ready to acknowledge that they had read the Gospel of John. So I'm not going to ask you to do that. Um, but I probably do owe you an apology. I told you last week it will take you about an hour, roughly, to read John's gospel. That is, unless you're like me, I get, I, I take a lot of detours, you know, it's, I'll read something and that'll remind me of something else and I'll move here and there. So it took a little longer than that for me, but, um, but what a blessing, right? Uh, newsflash, what a blessing for us when we spend time like that in God's word. Uh, I hope that you were richly blessed as you spent time there in John's gospel. Today we will continue this, uh, this study and really the key uh, point, the key point of emphasis for us today uh, is just this on the screen that you see one word, one word can make all the difference. So marketing experts tell us that one of the keys to successful sales is to, to get your, your customer to picture themselves in the present tense. And so there's a lot of research has gone into this, but the marketing gurus will tell us that one of the key things that you have to try and do is to get your customer to imagine themselves using the product in the present. And so removing one word from your copy is oftentimes a, 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 huge, a huge determination in whether or not you, you have the sale or not. So, for instance, um, if you're writing copy for something like Twizzlers, uh, it's not recommended that you say things like, kids will love the fruity taste of Twizzler Blast, or whatever your product might be. Uh, instead, the marketing gurus say you should say, kids love the fruity taste of Twizzler. The removal of that one word doesn't talk about what will happen or what might happen, but instead gets you in the present tense, and as the theory goes in marketing, is one of the keys to successful sales. Uh, research has also been done in, um, in the area of medicine, and so uh, these language uh, researchers have done these studies, and they've determined that one word can make all the difference when a doctor, at the end of your visit with them, asks, uh, so is there anything else we need to be talking about? Uh, the research shows that when the doctor, at the end of a visit, if the doctor is sitting there across the, you know, the table from you or whatever, and, and they, they get down to the end and they say, so is there anything else you'd like to talk about? That that question oftentimes brings about a fairly negative response, meaning that when the doctor poses it that way, is there anything else? The response is usually, well, well no, I'm okay. But if you take out the word anything and you replace, replace it with the word something, then the entire dialogue, it begins to change. It's transformative. So instead of, is there anything else we need to talk about? When the doctor says, is there something else you'd like for us to talk about? I kind of emphasized it the right way on that one too, you know. But whenever someone says, is there something else? It tends to open up and invite a little more of a positive response. So one word can make all the difference. Sure, in marketing and even maybe in medicine, definitely with regard to marriage, one word can make all the difference, right? So a couple of years ago, I was on my way home from work, and Sonny calls and says, hey, I need you to pick up a few things from the grocery store. 
I said, okay, great. So she sent me a text message of the things that that we needed, like five or six things. Most of them are ordinary, run-of-the-mill kind of items, you know, that I can usually find on my own. But there's always that one item, right, guys? There's always like this one thing, some exotic spice that we have to have for the chicken noodle soup or, you know, something that, like, I'm never going to find on my own. And my wife knows this. So in addition to sending me the list, I also get a picture of the exact item that she's holding in our kitchen. I need this click. Like the odds are pretty good I'm going to find it if I have a visual to go along with it, okay? So I stop at the store and I'm going around and again, I I find, again, seven or eight of the items on my own, but it's that one thing. I'm walking around, I'm looking at the picture, I'm holding it up, I'm trying to find it, I can't find it. And so I I go for 10 minutes because I just don't want to call home and admit that I can't find this one item. But I call and I say, I don't know where this thing is. And because, again, my wife does most of the grocery shopping and because she has this photographic memory, she has the entire schematic of the store committed to memory, she knows, hey, it's on the third aisle halfway down on the right-hand side. And so I proceed to walk down the third aisle halfway down on the right-hand side and it's not there, right? And so I tell her, Sonny, look, it's not here. I think you're wrong. Are you sure it's on the third aisle? No, it is on the third aisle, halfway down, right-hand side. It's there. I said, I'm telling you, it is not. I've gone, walked up and down this aisle. I'm standing on the third aisle uh, in Publix, and I'm telling you that it is not here. And she says, I told you to go to Kroger. <laughs> yeah. One word, right? It can make, it can make all the difference. And in John's gospel, we're, we're ready now to hear this one word that makes all the difference. But, you know, really and, and truly, that's not even saying it. That's not even saying it with, with, with precision. This one word that John wants to introduce us to, one word with capital W, one word, it's the one word that makes all the others irrelevant. It's the word of God in the flesh. Jesus Christ. The Son of God who came to earth, who, as, as James said, we still remember, we tell his story, we celebrate that even this morning, 2,000 years later. Let's listen to what John has to say about this one word that makes all the difference. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. With this beginning, this prologue, John is calling to mind the very beginning of Scripture. When you hear those words, in the beginning, you're instantly taken back to Genesis chapter 1. You're taken back to the beginning of the story, the beginning of the Scripture, the beginning of history, when God set out to create this world that we live in and inhabit. So the Gospel of Mark begins his Gospel by by starting with the ministry of Jesus. Matthew and Luke say, well, let's back up a little bit further. And Matthew and Luke, they tell us about the birth of Jesus leading to that ministry. But John says, you know what? That's not going back far enough. We need to go all the way back here to the beginning. We go to the beginning of all things. And when we go all the way to the beginning, you know what we find? We find God. In particular, we find God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. 
And so when John starts telling his story here, when he begins to write this gospel, and he's talking about light and life and darkness and in the beginning, he's calling to mind Genesis 1. And his point in all of this is to, to have us see that Jesus is right there. That going back to the beginning of his ministry isn't going back far enough, or even to the beginning of, of, of his life here on earth is not far enough. John acknowledges Jesus, this one word that makes all the difference. Jesus is the living word of God, the eternal word of God, and he is present in the beginning. So when God the Father says, let there be, it is the word. The word is the the active agent bringing about that creation. It is the son's role. When the father speaks, the son is the one bringing about creation. And you can go to a lot of other places in the scriptures and, and it'll reinforce this. Colossians 1 is one place that reinforces this that that jesus is the active agent in creation god speaks and jesus accomplishes it and so that's really the takeaway point here from the beginning this one central idea when we look at genesis 1 and john 1 it's this when god speaks creation occurs and in jesus god has spoken a word of new creation so according to John, what he says here is that Jesus was with the, uh, God the Father in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So we can see clearly this distinction within the, the Godhead, within the, the, the Trinity. We can see God the Father and God the Son existing as separate entities. They are separate beings. Persons is really the only language we have to describe them. And so, so they are distinct. They're differentiated. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. But with the very same line, we also see this essential unity there because the very next line says, not only was the Word with God in the beginning, but the Word was God. Now John's not trying to be confusing here. He's just trying to use human language to describe this reality, this this life-changing, transformative reality that we find in Jesus, the one Word that came into the world and makes all the difference. So here we have Jesus, God the Son, distinct from God the Father and God the Spirit. And yet at the same time, these three share in this same elemental essence. They are God, according to the Word of God. One metaphor, one example I've heard, way of explaining this that I think is helpful is is to think about H2O. Go back to chemistry class years ago, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, when you have that at room temperature, you have what? It was water, right? Uh, but you, you change the temperature, you change the context that that elemental compound exists in, and it's manifest differently. So if we take that H2O and we put it in the refrigerator, we freeze it, it changes shape, it's manifest differently, right? It becomes ice, but it's at the same, at the, at the, at the elemental level, the compound doesn't change. It remains two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. It's just expressed differently in a different temperature, in a different environment, right? And then on the flip side, you take that that same H2O, you put it in a pot, you put it on the stove, and you, you crank up the temperature a little bit, it converts into steam, right? Which is still two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, but it's just expressed in a different form. Right, so every kind of metaphor and example breaks down at, at some point, all right? But you, you get the idea. And when we have God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, they all share in that same essence, same compound, if you want to put it that way. 
but unique manifestations, unique persons sharing in that same divine essence. But one word, one word can make all the difference. With this particular passage, it's been much debated by some religious groups. There are some some groups that will translate this first verse a little differently. So instead of saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the addition of one little word there can change the meaning drastically. So if you've ever studied with a Jehovah's Witness, uh, you, you open up to John 1 and read that passage with them, they'll include one word that changes that whole meaning, right? So it reads this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Well, that reads differently, doesn't it? Because what, what you're doing when you hear that, you've just taken the unique divine status of Jesus, right? And you've just kind of watered that down. He's no longer the Word as God, but the Word as a God. And I would say that's a pretty tragic way to interpret John 1. In fact, I think it runs counter to the point that John's making here anyway about the unique status of who Jesus is. So Jesus is the Word of God. He is filled with life and light. And and, and he takes those themes here in John 1, uh, verses 1 through 5. And by the time we get to verse 14, he's expanded the idea a little bit further. And let's look at this passage. The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, and this is key, full of grace and truth. Last week we noted that faith is not an abstract concept, right? We said that faith is an active verb, that faith is a word that gets up and goes. We said faith is a word that sweats. <laughs> There's action and momentum involved with biblical faith. And so right up front here, John in his gospel, he points us to Jesus and he says that the, the incarnation of Christ is that same kind of movement away from an abstract concept, Jesus as the word. No, he comes to us as the word made flesh. He comes filled with grace and truth, he says, but it is the word become flesh that I want us to focus on here for just a minute. Some of you have probably heard this before, but the, the actual translation of that is that the word of God has tabernacled among us he has made his dwelling among us eugene peterson in the message he translates it this way that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood i love that because the idea of the tabernacle if you remember your old testament history the tabernacle was the unique dwelling place of god with his people it was the place where god was present among his people prior to the construction of the temple And so whenever we hear that uh, John saying that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he has tabernacled among us, he is saying that God is back among his people once again. He's saying that God is choosing to tabernacle with his people once again. He is saying that God has moved back into the neighborhood once again, and he has done this by sending his word, his son, into the world. So in order for God to speak his word to us, do you think that, that we have to somehow uh, climb up to the level where God is, that we have to kind of work our way up to be able to try and understand the language of God and the mind of God and the way that God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit speak to one another and learn their language and learn that dynamic? In order for God to speak to us, do we have to climb up to that level? I don't think so. In fact, I don't even know if that's possible for us. 
But what the Bible says is that in order for God to speak this word to us, you know what he does? He comes down to our level. He puts all of this on the lower shelf for us. He puts all of this in a way, he communicates to us in a way that helps us understand the truth and the reality of who God is. So he sends his son into the world, wrapped in flesh, wrapped as a child, a child growing into a man, Jesus, the word of God, full of grace and truth. He has to put it on our level. So this past week, on Monday night, uh, we had the privilege of spending about three or four hours in the emergency room as a family. Uh, Jackson is our youngest here, and he's given me permission to tell this story, okay? But um, Monday afternoon, early evening, Jackson uh, actually split open his leg with a pocket knife. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for Christmas, or even before that, the boys and I, we started kind of collecting pocket knives, and um, so this is kind of dad's thing, all right, so I kind of have to own it on this, right? So uh, we started collecting pocket knives, and even those longer folding knives, okay? So Jackson got home from school and went outside to play, and he got one of those real thin, like, drawstring backpacks, you know, pretty thin, and uh, he had some things in there. One of those things was a, f- a folding knife, all right? And then from this point forward, the details of the story get a little fuzzy. So we don't know exactly how it happened, but the next thing Sonny uh, heard was Jackson running in the house, and uh, he's kind of split open his leg right here. Uh, thankfully, we avoided that major artery that kind of goes right there. But still, it's a pretty good-sized gash. We had to go to the emergency room. Uh, we got there, and things had kind of calmed down. You know, we're talking to the charge nurse, and, you know, Jackson had kind of he caught his breath. Everybody was calm, you know. So I thought it was a great moment to try and, you know, lighten up the mood a little bit. All right? So the charge nurse is ask, asking Jackson, so how did you do this, and what happened, and all this kind of thing? And, and she kind of looked at us, you know, because she heard he was outside playing with knives. And... And so I just thought it would be funny. I said, you know, normally we supervise our children when we let them play with their weapons, you know. (laughs) Let me just tell you, that is not the place to make a joke like that, dads, okay? Charge nurse kind of looked at me sideways. I was like, please don't call the police. I'm joking, you know. Um, But we, so we got him into the back and the the doctor was about to sew him up, you know. And this this lady came in and and she was a, a, a child life specialist. And I thought she was there to talk to us, and she was like, uh, excuse me, I need to talk to the patient, you know, and uh, she kind of got down, like, on Jackson's level, got down at his face, and she said, Jackson, you know, my name is whatever, and I'm here, uh, I'm a child life specialist, and it's my job to talk to boys and girls, to let them know in their own, in language they can understand, to let them know exactly what's happening here. So do you understand what they're about to do to you? And he said, well, I mean, I think so, yeah. So she explained what they're going to do to, you know, take care of the boo-boo, you know, all this kind of stuff. She's talking, like, in a way that, that really is disarming and kind of keeps him calm and everything. And so she finished, and she was like, so Jackson, do you have any questions about any of this? And I think his only question was, can I have a popsicle? And she said, like, yeah, we can do that. We can get you a popsicle, okay? But she came down to his level and put all of this Uh, medical jargon in in terms that he could understand. And when Jesus enters into the world, God is is expressing his heart and his love for his people in a way that we can understand. He's putting flesh 
and bone and blood on the idea of God speaking a word of grace and truth to us. And so in the person of Jesus, we can see and hear and know from God because he's put it on a level that we can understand. Jackson's totally okay, by the way. So let's just close the loop on that story, all right? Thank you, buddy, for letting me tell your story to everybody. Last week, we talked about Jesus from John 14, how he is the way and the truth and the life. And so if we're going to talk here as, as we kind of wind down about Jesus coming full of grace and truth, I want us to begin by thinking about what it means for Jesus to come full of, of truth. If you've read through John's gospel this week, you came across a couple of places there in John 2 that, that emphasize this. In John 2, the first sign that Jesus performs in John's gospel, it is the turning of water into wine. And there's that wedding at Cana in Galilee. And if you read the story, you know, they, they run out of wine and, and Mary comes to Jesus. His mother comes to Jesus and says, hey, this, there's this problem. This has happened. They've run out of wine. And Jesus kind of shrugs. He's sort of like, I mean, that's not really my problem, mom. You know, he's sort of reluctant to perform this miracle. Mary doesn't even listen to him. <laughs> it's just like mom knows what needs to happen. And so she just, she tells Jesus about the problem. And then she turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. And I picture her just kind of turning and her, you know, her skirt whisking around and she walks out the door, you know. <laughs> just do whatever he tells you to do, right? Because that's what you do when you understand Jesus as the truth. That's what you do when you understand John 14, 6, when he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. When you acknowledge that Jesus is the word of God and that he speaks words of truth, your response is just what Mary said. Do do what he tells you to do. That's what you do when Jesus is the truth. At the end of John 2, it says there that Jesus didn't need man's testimony about other men because he knows, he knew what was in a man. He knows our condition. He knows what's in us. Well, what is in us? Well, brokenness, wickedness, corruption, evil. In a word, sin. That's what's in us. So Jesus, as the truth, he knows that about you, and he knows that about me. So he doesn't need any testimony about that because he can see with those, those piercing kind of eyes, he knows what's in us. So the Bible can say things like, your sin will find you out, right? Because if Jesus is the truth, there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to hide. But not only that, the Bible says, yes, the, your sin will find you out, but the Bible also says the truth will set you free. Because it is the work of Jesus not just to speak those words of condemnation that might be associated with truth. No, he may see it and he may know it, but his hope, his deep desire is to speak over us not just a word of truth, but also a word of grace. That we might be liberated and freed from that which enslaves us. So Jesus is first that word of truth come from God. But he is also this, this word of grace. And again, as we read through John's gospel, it's striking, at least to me, to hear the language used of John the Baptist. John came as a witness, John writes. Not the same John, right? John the Apostle writes about John the Baptist, but he says he came as a witness. He came testifying to the truth. He bore witness to the truth about who Jesus is. John, repeatedly, every time you see John in, in John's gospel, he's, his whole thing is like to shine the light toward Jesus. 
Even though they would have come, they would have put the crown on him. And they were asking, are you the Messiah? And he could have easily said yes. And he could have taken the role and he could have enjoyed that, that moment in the spotlight, however brief it might have been. But John wouldn't do that. He wouldn't take that bait. Instead, he says, no, I'm not the Messiah. In fact, my job is to be one who calls out this voice crying out, in the wilderness, make your path straight because the Lord is coming. And the guy who comes after me, I can't even untie his shoes. He must increase, I must decrease, he says. That's what it means to bear witness to the Lordship of Jesus. And in particular, it is this word of grace John points to Jesus and he says, he is the Christ, he is the Son of God, but he is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. John knows that truth resides in Jesus, but it is truth that is pointed at this reality that Jesus comes to free us from our sin. Jesus knows what is in us. Because he is the word of God, full of truth. But he takes away our sin because he is the word of God, full of grace. So as we wrap up, here's this week's dare. Last week we dared you to read the word about Jesus from John. This week the dare is this. Would you dare to speak a word? Speak a word about Jesus to someone this week. Would you follow that example from John the Baptist, one who is a witness to who Jesus is. Last month, I think it was, we talked about how important it is that one, one conversation can have an eternal impact. We said one conversation can change the course of your life for better or worse. And if we believe that, then this week, would we be intentional about seeking out those spaces where we can speak a word about Jesus, a word of truth and a word of grace? I don't, know, I don't know what that looks like in your context, but I, I believe that if Jesus is that word of God, full of truth and full of grace, then we as his followers have an opportunity to speak his name in this climate, in this culture, in this place, and just see what happens. Would we dare by faith to do that? So is there someone in your life who needs to hear the word of truth about Jesus? Absolutely. <laughs> Let's just take the question out of it. There is someone in your life and in mine who needs to hear a true word about Jesus. Jesus left us with so many truths, so many words that just continue 2,000 years later to to inspire and to guide and to to point us in the right direction. Those words of truth is someone whose path you'll be crossing this week probably needs to hear some sort of word of truth. The question is, will we be daring enough because of our faith to speak that word? So maybe someone in your life needs to hear the truthful word of God this week. Words like this. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Those are just a few of the true words that Jesus spoke that that I can think of that have impacted my life. And and there may be be others that would come to mind for you that probably are. Is there someone that, that might need to hear some of those truths this week? And would you and I be daring enough to speak those words to them? Let me just add, if we're going to be truth tellers in the lives of other people, we need to probably choose a relationship. This is just wisdom, right? To choose a relationship where we have a lot of relational equity. 
What I mean by that is it needs to be someone that, that we have such a high level of trust with that we can be truthful with them. Trust and truthfulness, same root word, right? So if we just don't start blasting people with both barrels with the truth, you know, we're probably going to do more damage to our relationships than we think. But if there's someone that we have a high degree of trust in, someone who trusts us and we trust them and we can, we can open up and be a truth teller in their lives, man, the, the opportunity there, the opportunity there to, to speak a true word about Jesus is just, it's just incredible. So is there a family member, a friend, someone that you're close to who needs to hear that word of truth this week? Be praying about that. Also, not just words of truth. Jesus was the word of God. He came full of truth. But also, also he comes full of grace. So the question is also, is is there someone in your life who needs to hear a gracious word about Jesus this week? And in much the same fashion, we can just, we can take the, take the question mark out of that. There is someone in my life, in your life, who's just dying. I just need to hear the gracious word about the Lord this week. The question is, will we be daring enough to, to speak words like this? It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's the Lord who said that. Do not let your hearts be troubled. My favorite, my grace is sufficient for you. Is there someone in your world that needs to hear that? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the resurrection and the life. Those, again, are just a few of the gracious words that Jesus left us. There's someone in our lives who needs to hear those kinds of words from us. So that's our dare this week. Last week was easy, reading John. (laughs) This week, can we find someone to just speak a little bit of the truth, a little bit of grace? Can we speak that into, into our conversation with someone this week? And when it happens, will we be bold enough and daring enough to say, you know, Jesus is the one who said, fill in the blank. You don't have to stand up on the lunch table. You don't have to browbeat people with the Bible. But if we don't speak his name, will we be daring enough? I told you last week, this is the question I was going to keep in front of you. I said, what are we doing by faith? I've tweaked it. What are we daring by faith? Again, faith is an active verb. It's a word that sweats. It's a word that moves. What are we daring to do? this week. May we be daring enough to speak the word of God, Jesus Christ, the word that came full of grace and full of truth. Let's pray together. Father God, you're good. You bless us in so many ways, Father. Lord God, I pray that you would embolden us to speak truly and to speak graciously. Father, may we be inspired by what you've done in Christ, that you came down to our level, that you speak in a language that we can understand. And as we see the cross, as we see the empty tomb, as we hear the teaching of Jesus, his entire way of being, Father, may it fill us with truth and grace so that we may may speak that word in this world that we live in, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you need to respond in any way to the invitation of Christ, I hope you'll do that today. If you need to accept the truth of who Jesus is, putting Christ on in baptism, and we would love to celebrate that. We will delay lunch. We will, we will sit here and participate in that with you. If that needs to happen, that would, be, that would just thrill us. If there are other things, though, that we can be uh, mindful of and praying about as a church body, you can always walk down this aisle, share it with your shepherds down front here, 
I know they would be honored to pray with you. And then as always, you'll see them in the back of the room as well. Uh, Seek them out if you just need to talk privately with one of them. If you need to respond in any of those ways, I hope you'll do that. Let's stand and sing our song together. Um.